please to turn your Bible to the Old Testament reading for today is taken from Leviticus chapter 5 verses from 2 to 6 in our church Bible you will find the word on the page 105 you know before reading the scriptures it reminds me of the saying from the home because we are celebrating home group i had been brought up my grandmother my grandmother used to tell me cleanliness is next to godliness so this is the thing you know what we have got for the scripture reading today from verse 2 to 6 if anyone becomes aware that they are guilty if they unwittingly touch anything ceremonially unclean whether the carcass of an unclean animal wild or domestic or any unclean creatures that moves along the ground and they were unaware that they have become unclean then they come to realize their guilt for if they touch human uncleanness anything that would make them unclean even though they were they are unaware of it but then they learn of it and realize their guilt or if anyone thoughtlessly takes on oath to do anything whether good or evil in any matter in one might careless swear about even though they are unaware of it then they learn of it and realize their guilt when anyone becomes aware that they are guilt in any of these matters they must confess in what way they have sinned as a penalty for the sin they have committed they must bring to the lord a female lamb or goat from the flock as a sin offering and the priest shall make atonement for them for their sin this is the word of the lord Please open up your Bibles to James chapter 5. Our New Testament reading is found on page 1216 in your red Bibles. 1216. James chapter 5 and we'll be reading verses 13, 14, 15 and 16. James writes, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Even or if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so this morning we continue our series on the things we're supposed to do with and for one another. 
And um, I confess to you that this is getting more difficult for me. See, we're supposed to confess to one another, right? This is getting more difficult. Um, each sermon is actually challenging me more and more in a lot of ways in my ministry, in my, in my personal life. On top of that, we also had a great weekend uh, last week at the retreat, and I hope many of you were there, that also challenged me about the way I've been thinking about how we work together as a church, how we live together, how we worship together, how we honor one another. And this week is, to me, very difficult as well. But by reading scripture, we saw in Leviticus that this is not a new command, that the confession of sin has existed for a very long time and is a very essential piece of our worship, both to God and to one another. And so this morning, before we come to the table of communion and and increased fellowship throughout the day, let me pray for us that we would go into this time of of learning from the scriptures um, with grace and with a willingness to learn, because I think this is very difficult. Would you pray with me? God, we give you this time. Confession requires vulnerability. Confession requires trust. God, these things are difficult. And so we ask that we would remember your love and grace in our lives, that we would remember the promise of the Holy Spirit to give us words to speak and ears to listen, that we would learn and grow together and that confession would be a vital part of our worship. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And so I ask you to think, how are we doing as a congregation? Is anyone among you in trouble? What ought we to do? In this room, there's hundreds of people. And I know personally, I won't say, but I know that there are many of us who lose sleep at night for one reason or another. Maybe it's a health problem, maybe it's a money problem, maybe it's a job problem, maybe it's a family problem. But that we would consider that we might be in trouble. Something's not going right. And James says very clearly, if any of among you is in trouble, let them pray. Church, first and foremost, we need to be people of prayer. And then we also need to be people who sing songs of praise together. Is any one of you happy? I know many of you are happy. We celebrate, there's a baby banner, we'll announce it at the end, but people are happy. There's great joy in this congregation. We have much to be thankful for. Let us sing songs of praise with one another. Let us be thankful. You know, verse 3 is just the normal, or verse 13 is the normal life, right? There's some highs and some lows. Let's do it together. He continues in verse 14. Is, is any of you sick? Then, then let's get together the leaders and the elders of the church and let's pray together. He starts getting more serious. You know, we know we should sing songs of praise. We know we should, we should you know, pray together when we feel troubled. But, but then he gets into this issue of sickness, In distress. In sickness here, this word can be translated either sick or weak. Is any among you weak? Maybe you don't feel you can do this on your own. Maybe life feels really overwhelming. Maybe you feel sick or broken. Then call together the leaders of the church. Get people in this room, the elders together, and let's pray for these things. That you would be anointed with oil in the name of the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 15, and I want to explain something here first. 
or explain something, but he says, in that prayer, offered in faith will make the sick person well. And the Lord will raise them up, and if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. I want to camp out on verse 15 for a minute before we go forward, because this is sort of important to me. Um, Some people, some traditions have taken this verse and other verses that are similar to say things like, well, um, if someone is prayed for, then they should be made well immediately, right? If someone is prayed for in faith, then that person should be healed. And if the person is not healed, then there's some problem, right? And this is a delicate question because we all come from different backgrounds, You know, many have actually argued over verses like this. You know, what is this talking about? You know, some of you have even heard and been condemned from someone else. Maybe a brother or sister in Christ that said, hey, listen, the reason that prayer request didn't come to fruition was because you didn't believe enough or you weren't faithful enough or there was some unconfessed sin. I even once was told by someone that my father, when he had cancer, um, had cancer because he had not confessed the sin in his life. First, if that or anything similar has ever happened to you, I am so sorry that someone in the name of Jesus said that to you. I am so sorry if you have ever felt inadequate in your faith. I am so sorry if someone has ever made you feel like you are not a faithful believer in Jesus Christ. That's a lie. We are all and can be faithful believers in Jesus Christ, and it is not about having some measure of faith, but it is about believing. And even the Apostle Paul, I want to mention, does not heal all ailments. The Apostle Paul, we would probably say, maybe was the best Christian ever. I mean, he wrote, do as I do. And yet, we see throughout the scriptures that there were times when there were people he left that were sick and didn't heal. He even himself prayed. He even himself prayed that God, that God would take his sickness from him, his thorn in the flesh. And it never came to fruition. And so, church, let this verse not be a verse that creates division. Let this be a verse that unifies us together to do what it is saying, which is what? Come together and pray that we would all find healing. It's not about having more faith or less faith. It's about trusting that God can and will heal. It's about coming together as a body of Christ to know that God does heal and that God has promised us healing, whether in this life or the life to come, that we will be made complete and healed from our sins. And so do not let this verse be a hang-up for you. I would encourage you to let this be something that spurs you on to pray more with one another, to pray more and to go to the Lord with faith that he will do these things. Because we are in this together, aren't we? If you look at this in the context of James chapter 5 and even the whole book of James, we see that we are in this together. And James wants us, James encourages us to patiently endure suffering. And so, church, let us see this as an encouragement and a call to pray, to go to our Lord together and trust in the promise that the Lord will save us. It may be here and now. I've seen healings. But it may be in our resurrected life to come that we will be healed. And so let us then be faithful and be thankful to the Lord because he has promised us these things. He has promised us redemption. He has promised us healing. And so in verse 16, what ought we to do? Let's confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. That we would find healing and restoration. 
Here is our one another for the day. That we would be like priests to one another. Some of you come from a Catholic tradition where you would go and confess to the priest and the priest would then explain to you some measure of atonement you had to have and then give you the the assurance of your pardon and forgiveness. Well, the Apostle Paul throughout the scriptures calls us saints, brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's do this for one another. Let's be like priests and pastors to one another. Let's hear each other's confession and let's give grace and love to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us confess our sins to one another. I was reading this and... um, this is really hard for me. So some of you are private people. I tend to be a little bit more private. My, my good friends know me very, very well, and I'm very honest with them. But I, I can be honest here, right? As a pastor, it's hard to be 100% honest all the time with thoughts and feelings. You don't want to offend people. You don't want to upset people. And many of you are sitting here thinking, okay, I'm good with confessing to God. I get that. He's the God of the universe, big, mighty, powerful, great. Why in the world do I have to confess to these other people if I already confess to God? Why in the world would I tell other people about my sins and my weaknesses? I spend so much energy hiding those things from other people. Why in the world would I voluntarily tell people that I'm bad at things and that I messed up? I work really hard. I mean, I mean many of you are right now thinking, as I am, and I need to stop, the things I do to hide these things. Two reasons. One, um, the Bible says so. Too bad. You have to do it. Um, that's the lazy answer. The Bible says so. Sorry. But two, and more, more importantly and more seriously, how often in this life do our sins only affect us? Think of the gravest things that have happened to you, the things other people have said or done to you. Church, our sins don't only affect us They affect our families, our friends, the people we love the most in this world. The reason we confess to one another is so that we would all find forgiveness and restoration together. In this passage, which is about prayer, essentially, James is telling us to confess to one another that our prayers would lead to this healing, that our confession would lead to this healing, and not just healing uh, between us and God, but in our relationships in our one-anothering, how we live life. You know, what does this look like? Well, the reason this is so difficult is because confession is against our nature. In most situations, I mean, if you think about as a child, when you confess to doing something wrong, you got in trouble. I mean, some of you were wonderful children. Some of us weren't wonderful children. And we're very naughty. And this happened in school all the time. I remember the teacher saying to me all the time or to the class, you know, if the person responsible confesses and comes forward, it will be much better off for everyone. And I see a lot of you laughing because that's not true. No, if I keep my mouth shut, you have no idea who did it. And no one, you can't get us all in trouble, right? I remember one time we had... um, my, I lived right by the ocean, and we always had seagulls in our playground. You know, those big, white, horrible birds. And as boys, we would sometimes, and this is not right, do not throw rocks at animals, but we would sometimes just throw rocks at seagulls. And somehow along the way, a rock went over a fence and broke someone's window at a house. And so they c- c- gathered all those boys in the principal's office, and the principal looks at us very seriously. 
If the person responsible comes forward, only they will get in trouble and no one else will get in trouble. And we all look at each other like, yeah, right. If none of us come forward, none of us are going to get in trouble because you don't know who did it. You can't prove it, right? I mean, in my rule growing up was, listen, I'm not going to confess unless you catch me. Like, it's not going to happen. You better catch me, otherwise I'm not confessing. And that's human nature, isn't it? That's how we live. I mean, we think, oh, yeah, I should apologize for that, but only if I get caught. Oh, I shouldn't have said that, but only if that person calls me on it, then I'll apologize. But otherwise, well, I'll just let it, you know, let it go. You know, our human nature is to be fearful of confession because other people, we don't know if we can trust them. And now I have come to realize a couple of things. That was my rule when I was a teenager, so give me grace. Um, I no longer think that that's the way to live. But I've come to realize that this is not the best way to live because sooner or later we all get caught. Either in this life or when we get before the Lord Jesus, we're all going to get caught. And secondly, no one wants to be around someone who can never admit their fault. No one wants to be around someone who refuses to acknowledge that they hurt other people. Confession is difficult because we sometimes just don't know what will happen. We don't know what someone's going to say to us. Or we don't trust that person that we are confessing to. What if that person hurts me? Like I prayed, this takes vulnerability, right? What if I confess and this person hurts me? We've been hurt before and we don't want to be hurt again. But church, consider first who we're supposed to confess to. With God, we know what will happen. With our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we've been promised love, grace, and forgiveness. We have seen the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as proof that we will have grace and we will have forgiveness. We know that we can trust our Lord and Savior in our confession. And yet, as we prayed before church or during the service, we have forgotten these things. We have forgotten these things God has promised us. Even in Leviticus, when there was confession of sin, what needed to follow? A sacrifice. Acknowledge your sin, and then there ought to be a sacrifice for your sin. Well, church, how many times do we forget there has already been a sacrifice for us? How often do we forget that there has already been a sacrifice for us, and that we can go to the cross of Jesus Christ and find forgiveness and repentance? How many times Christians in this room, maybe you've been a Christian one year, maybe you've been a Christian your whole life, how many times have you gone to Jesus and found love and forgiveness in your confession and in your repentance? I have found this freedom more times than I can ever count. I have found freedom in Jesus more times and in more ways than I could ever explain. And it's not just because Jesus loves me, but it's so that we would go and give the same to our neighbor, that when we confess to our neighbor or our neighbor confesses to us something, we would give the same grace and the same love that Jesus gave you. Because after all, in confession, we are saying first that we are sorry that we've done something wrong to you or to God. And we know we have failed. And second, And this is where it gets into the one another part as a church. Second, we're saying, I'm trusting you with this. 
We confess to one another to show trust, to show love. Say, this is hard for me, but I trust you. This is hard for me because you could use this against me. But as a brother, as a sister in Christ, I trust you. This is difficult. But we also know that it is only through confession, it is only through repentance that we find healing, that we find restoration, and that we find this new life we're so eagerly searching after. Church, James doesn't want us to confess to one another that we would be gossips, that we would know everyone else's business. He doesn't ask that you would confess to a stranger in the pew next to you. We're talking about building these deep, meaningful relationships in church that lead us all to a mutual understanding of God's love and forgiveness for us. That we would share the freedom we've found, that when someone comes to us and says, I have wronged you or I need help, we give love and grace, not judgment and condemnation. We give unity and togetherness Church, if you have stuff going on, pray. If you have sins, confess. If you have hurt someone in this room, confess to God and then go to that person and confess that you have hurt them and seek their forgiveness. That we would be unified in Christ and in Christ's grace. Church, this is not like your teacher asking you to confess and you will be punished. Yes, there is consequence for sin. That is another sermon But our confession brings us freedom. Freedom in Christ, freedom to be the people we were meant to be, freedom to have actual, real relationships where we can be ourselves. What would it be like if we didn't have to always hide the things we don't want other people to know about us? And then we can give that freedom, we can give that grace, we can give that love to more and other people. Let us confess to one another as a community of faith. And so I want to challenge all of us, myself included, as someone who struggles with this. First, let me say this. As a pastor, I get to do this. If you take the grace of God in your own life for your salvation, you trust in it, but do not give it to your sisters and brothers in Christ, I pray that you would be convicted to do so. That you would not take that gift for granted. Because that is not why Christ saved you. That is not why Christ gave you grace. And that is not why he showed his love for you by resurrecting. What Christ says is that he did this that we would all know. That we would all share in his love. That we would all be unified together. And part of that is confessing. Part of that is being honest and being vulnerable. That, That is why we come to communion. See, the communion table is a reminder that we come to the table as we will here in a minute with thanksgiving. We come with joy knowing that we have been freed, reminding ourselves of the sacrifice Christ made. And so first, we need to remember the one we confess to. We remember our trust and our love for Jesus Christ, that he is indeed worthy, that he is indeed worthy of our trust and our vulnerability to confess to him. And then we go to his other children, to the ambassadors in this room of Christ. 
sisters and brothers of yours to do the same. That we come together as a church and confess to one another. Not forgetting or taking advantage of the grace we have found in Christ, but freely giving it so that others would know the same thing we have found. To be reminded daily of the grace we have in Jesus Christ. And so, when we are in trouble, we pray together. When we are sick, we ask for help. When we feel like we can't do it on our own, we just say, help, let's pray. And when we have hurt one another, when we have said harsh words with one another, when we have done actions that do not glorify one another in the name of Jesus Christ, we confess knowing that we have the power to give the same forgiveness Christ gave us and to have a difference in someone else's life. In Galatians, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, in Galatians it says that we are the means of God's grace. You are the means of God's grace to the people in this room and outside of this room in the city of Zurich and wherever it is you find yourself, you are a means and an ambassador of God's grace. And so share that. Give that love. And as a reminder, as a reminder this morning, we come to the table. As a reminder of that, we come to the communion table. You know, communion has a lot of things around it, and it's very important, but one of the simplest ways to put it is this is a means of God's grace. This is a reminder of God's grace to us. We come and we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, the grace he gives us in the bread and the cup. We remember our vows at baptism. We remember our vows of service. And so my hope for us this this afternoon is that this would become something that spurs us on to confession and to forgiveness with one another. And that the Holy Spirit would use this time to fill you with the assurance that no matter how vulnerable you may need to be, that God's glory can shine through that. That your brother or sister in Christ can forgive you no matter what you have said or done. And that that is what we are called to. We're a family after all. And many of us know what it's like to have hard conversations with family. And yet at the end of the day, they're still our brothers and sisters. And nothing changes that. Shall we pray? Let's pray. And so, Lord, we come to your table as your children. Lord, we bicker and we fight. We argue. And yet, Lord, here we are together to share a meal. May it be a meal of love and grace. May it be a meal that honors and glorifies you, our good Father. Lord, thank you, not just for who you are, but what you have done, for the power of the Spirit that we might do the same for others. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.